All right, good morning, familia. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Hannibal Rodriguez, one of the teaching pastors here, and I wanted to welcome you, especially if you're visiting for the first time, and I wanted to welcome uh, also those of you sitting in the East Worship, I want you to know that you're deeply, deeply loved. Um, today, we're going to be reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 67 to 79, Luke chapter 1, verses 67 to 79, and I'm going to ask you to please stand for the reading of God's word as a sign of reverence to him. This is the word of the Lord. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us, of all who hate us. Verse 72. To show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. Verse 76. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the path of peace. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray. Lord, we come to you not just celebrating Advent, and not just remembering Advent, but we come to you today asking you to help us understand and believe the true meaning of Advent. Please give us a fresh understanding, give us a willing heart, eyes to see and ears to hear. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And the church says, you may be seated. So last week, um, for this Advent se uh, season, we started a series called The Promise of Christmas. And what we want to do with this series is to learn from several uh, individuals or several people that, involved, that were involved somehow uh, to the birth of Jesus Christ. They were involved somehow to baby Jesus and through these individuals um, is where we learn the true meaning of Christmas. And it is through these individuals that we remember and we celebrate Christmas or Advent. And as Rob, if you were here last week, as Rob mentioned it last week, we don't want this Christmas to miss the meaning of Christmas. That would be tragic. Last week we learned uh, about this through Mary and her encounter with the angel. And today we learn... Um, through Zechariah. What is interesting about this man is that with him we're going to learn what a good Christmas song looks like. Because if there's anything that is worth rejoicing during this season are Christmas songs. 
But I want to argue that a good Christmas song not only helps you understand the true meaning of Christmas, but a good Christmas song transforms your heart. And according to Zechariah here, we're going to see that a good Christmas song has three elements. Good news, bad news, and surprising news. If the song is worth anything, it must have these three elements. A good news, bad news, and surprising news. Let's go with the first one, um, good news. I have to start by giving you uh, a little bit of context on Zechariah here, just in case you're not familiar with this story. But Zechariah was a priest. Um, and usually priests in the Bible are people that represent people before God. And every now and then, they go into the temple, into God's presence, to plead for God's people. That was Zechariah. What is interesting about this man, though, is that his name is God Remembers. And I want you to keep that in mind because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to that later on. And he's married to a woman, and her name is Elizabeth. Her name means God is faithful. And I'm going to ask you to remember that later on as well. Now, the interesting thing here, though, is that Elizabeth couldn't have children. But by a divine intervention, God allows her to get pregnant and she becomes the mother of a famous character in the Bible, famous person in the Bible. His name was John the Baptist. What is interesting, though, about John the Baptist is that his name means God is merciful. God remembers, God is faithful, and God is merciful. Now, this is not just a coincidence. This is God intentionally using and choosing a family so through them, we understand what we're celebrating in Christmas. Now, like any good story, there's got to be drama. If there's no drama, it's not a good story. And we know from the text that Zechariah receives this visit from the Lord, and God tells him that his wife is going to have a baby. But for many reasons, he cannot believe it. He doubts God's power and God's goodness, and God disciplines him, and for nine months, he cannot say anything at all. Actually, he started talking again once the baby was born. Through nine months, we find this man thinking, praying, pondering, and seeking God's presence, and out of those nine months... The first thing he says is this, praise be to the Lord. Nine months, nine months of meditation, nine months of thinking, nine months of praying, nine months of us thinking, uh, him thinking who God is and who we are. And the first thing he says in this beautiful, amazing Christmas song is praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. And this is the principle behind this. That Christmas, people, is never, ever centered on humanity. That Christmas is always about God. Let me say that again because you guys look depressed. <laughs> that Christmas is never about us. Christmas is always about him. 
And I would say that that's the radical difference between cultural Christmas and the Christian Christmas. See, the cultural Christmas says that the most important person during this season is you. And the Bible says that the most important person during this season is God. Our culture has turned Christmas, Advent, into this sentimental celebration. Nothing wrong with any of that. But it's a celebration that is extremely anthropocentric, meaning that, is, that the center of everything is men. It's about me celebrating. It's about me having. It's about me receiving. It's about me asking. It's what I want, what I'm about to buy, what you're supposed to buy for me. And the great example of this, and I think that I can make my, my point clear here, is just by looking at the top five Christmas songs according to Spotify. Now, if you don't know what Spotify is, for those of you that are not familiar with that, it's kind of a program in which you can actually get digital music and you have access to thousands and thousands and thousands of songs. And the way they work is whenever they want you to hear a, whenever they want you to hear a song, they tell you which are the most popular songs in every season of the year. Interesting enough, the five top songs during this season of the years are, number one, pay attention to these people, all right? If you like Christmas music, this is not good music. <laughs> the number one song during this season is, All I Want for Christmas is You by Mariah Carey. Now, li- 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 listen up. Nothing wrong with the song, but the song is lame. It's a romantic song. It doesn't have anything to do with Jesus and what he came to do. Second song is called The Last Christmas. Now, this one I have to read a little bit so you understand why is it that I struggle with this kind of music. It says, last Christmas I gave you my heart. (laughs) But the very next day you gave it, but the the very next day you gave it away this year. To save me from tears, I'll give it to someone special. (laughs) It doesn't even rhyme. (laughs) The the next three songs is, it's beginning uh, to look a lot like Christmas. That song doesn't say anything at all. It's actually the kind of music that you hear at Macy's when they want you to buy something. (laughs) Song number four is Justin Bieber. (laughs) Mistletoe. And the last one is, this is serious, people. Ariana Grande's song, Santa, Tell Me. Now listen to this, because this is profound here. (laughs) Profoundly wrong. Listen to this. Santa, tell me, if you are really there, don't make me fall, uh, fall in love again. If he won't be here next year, Santa, tell me if he really cares. This poor girl is so confused. First of all, Santa is in the business of giving toys. He's not a counselor. <laughs> and number two, he, he doesn't know the future. He's just a human being. Now, the reason why I wanted to spend a few minutes making you laugh about this is because this is a reality of our culture. It's an extremely man-centered Christmas. But from a biblical perspective, Christmas is not about us. It's about him. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. 
But then Zechariah tells us that Christmas is not just about God, but it's about God choosing to come to us. And we see this in verses 68 and 78. Look at what it says. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people. And in verse 78, the rising sun will come to us from heaven. From the word come there in the text is where we get the word advent, which can also be translated as visiting or arriving. And the most amazing thing about Advent season is that we remember that this awesome and powerful and self-sufficient eternal God chooses to come to us. He chooses to visit us. He chooses to come for us. And the question is, for what purpose? Well, verses 68, to 68 and 69 responds it this way. He comes to redeem us, and he comes to raise up a horn of salvation. He comes because we are so bound to our enemies that if he doesn't show up to redeem us and save us, we are doomed to destruction. The reason why we celebrate Advent is because we must remember and we must celebrate that if God does not come to rescue us and redeem us and protect us and defend us and deliver us, we are doomed to destruction. We become the victims of our enemies. You see that in verses 71 and 74? Salvation from our enemies who hate us. Verse 74, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies. What I love about this verse, though, is that the word salvation means deliverance. Actually, the word that we just read before, the word horn, horn of salvation, means that God comes to save us by his mighty power. The reason why God chooses to come, and he chose to come, is to save us through his mighty power. Now, I don't think I'm telling you anything that you don't know. But I want you to see the implications of this. Because if this is true, and it is, that means that salvation, being saved, being delivered, and being redeemed, it's only possible because of God. And if that is true, and I think it is, that means then that there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. And if that is true, and I believe it is, then it means that without God's intervention, we are completely, completely hopeless. And if that is true, and I believe it is, that means that there is no true peace without God's intervention. And that's why at the end of this song, Zechariah says, that he came to guide our feet into the, path, into the path of peace. Tell me if this is not radically different to what we hear in culture today. A good Christmas song puts God at the center and what he came to do for us right at the center. Popular, popular culture says that Christmas is about you Zechariah says that Christmas is about God. Popular culture says that Advent is about you. 
Christianity says that Advent is about us remembering and celebrating what God came to do. That's the good news. Every good Christmas song must have this element. That is the only way that a Christmas song can change you. Now, this is what is interesting, though. That if there is good news, we can also assume that there's got to be bad news. In order for us to embrace the good news, we must first accept the bad news. And this leads me to my second point. And what Zechariah is going to teach us here is that Christmas, Advent, is not just about us remembering that we're hopeless without God, but also that we are so broken, so limited, so weak, and so sinful that not only Jesus wanted to come for us, not only Jesus chose to come to us, but that Jesus had to come for us. This is why the word mercy, which is a very religious word, is a word that we use all the time. That's why the word mercy is such an important word. That's part of the reason why Zechariah uses the word uh, mercy in two, different occasions, in two different occasions here. He uses it in verse 72 to show mercy to our ancestors, and he uses it in verse 78 because of the tender mercy of our God. Now, if you are a believer, that's a word that you use all the time. Most likely, you hear it all the time. It is through this word that we remember that God is a God of love, that God is a God of forgiveness, that God is a God of compassion, that God is a God that, that is not giving us what we deserve. That is the whole concept and definition of what the word mercy means. But I would like to argue that the word mercy is both a beautiful word and an offensive word. I would like to argue that if you truly want to understand why is it that we're celebrating here during this season, you must find this word both beautiful, full of grace, but also at the same time offensive. Because if Jesus had to come, the implication then is that my enemy is never outside of me. My enemy is always inside of me. That my greatest enemy is not what happens outside of me, that my greatest enemy is always what I have inside of me. That even though I could be a vi the victim of somebody else's sin, at the end of the day, I am the victim of my own sin. Isn't that offensive? Listen, there's people here that have suffered in ways that I cannot even describe it because somebody else has sinned. And I don't want to minimize that because that's a reality. But if there's one thing that we all have in common right now, is that the worst enemy is the one that lives inside of us. And if we are the problem, we could never be the solution. And if we are the problem, that explains the reason why is it that Jesus needed to come for us. Advent is about remembering and celebrating that Jesus came for the forgiveness of our sins, as he says right here in verses 77 and 79. To give people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. To shine to those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. I don't know if you have ever been in a place that is so dark, so and so dark that you cannot see anything at all. 
I don't know if you've ever been in a place that is so and so dark that you are confused all the time. You don't know the difference between south and north. You don't know the difference between east and south. You don't know where to go. You don't know what to do. You know that if you make the wrong move, there's a great possibility that you will run into problems. I think that that's the best way the Bible describes what it means to be a sinful person. It's to live in darkness. That's why the Bible describes sin as a separation from God, but also separation from light. That's part of the reason why the Bible describes sin as inability. That means that it's impossible for us to think the way we were made to think, to desire the way we were meant to desire, to speak the way we were designed to speak, and to behave the way God intended us to behave. Not only we are blind, but there's an inability inside of us to do what we were supposed to do. Even more than that, the Bible describes sin as a delusion. You know what that means? When you are blind to your own needs, blind to your own limitations, blind to your own sin, blind to your own self-destruction. Now, I know that when I say things like this, people get offended. And I'm saying it not to offend you, but if you get offended, that's God's business. Because that's a description of what it means to be a human being. So I don't know if you ever heard of a, of a man named uh, Jack Miller. He used to be the, he, he was the founder of World Harvest Mission. And whenever he was teaching on this topic, um, he found himself trying to convince people that this was true. Because the first reaction when someone says you are a sinful person is to defend yourself and to say, no, no, not me. So I think that this is what some of us do. We might not say, I am the worst person in the world, but what we do do is we compare ourselves to someone that is worse than us. Now, what he did through, through this process, he created something that, that he called the, the tongue assessment, in which he grabbed scriptures, pieces of a scripture, that talk about our words and our attitude toward people with our words. And what I want to do is I want to give you that assessment to see if that's a description of who you are. All right, so for, for the next few seconds, those of you sitting in the east and those of you guys sitting here in the west, for the next few seconds, I want you to see if this is true of you. Or actually, I want you to see if you can actually live for one week, just one week, applying this to your life. You ready? If you cannot live this out, then the Bible is right. This is what he would say. For one week, do not do any of the following. Do not gossip for one week. Do not spread a bad report, even in prayer. Do not complain. Do not blame shift, even if you're married. Do not defend yourself. Do not boast for one week. But because the Bible always calls you not to do something, but also to do something, he added a second part to that list, and this is what he asked people to do. I want you to witness. I want you to affirm everyone you can. I want you to encourage other people. I want you to express thanks, and I want you to praise others. 
So he's got this amazing story in which he's telling this to these students. And he says, go, go for a week, try this, and then come back. And if you did this well, then you are a righteous person. You are not a sinful person. And at the end of that week, this guy comes back, and he's super happy. And he says, I did it. He says, how did you do it? And he said this, I did not talk for a whole week. (laughs) You know what the problem is with that, though? That that only applies to the first half of the test. Because the second half says that you're supposed to use your words for edification. And if you're not doing that, you're sinning just as much. So can you do that? Okay, forget the week. Just today, at the end of the service, just today, from from the time we finish here all the way to 10 o'clock at night, which is usually the time that people go to sleep. Try to check what is it that comes out of your mouth. And I guarantee you, because I tried this, I guarantee you that at the end of my day, once again, I am convinced that I'm more sinful than what I think I am. This is why we have Advent. This is why Christmas was needed. This is why Jesus had to come. Because we are worse than what we think we are. And it's hard for us to accept it because sin became normal. It is normal for many of us to to say wrong things. It is normal for us to see wrong things. It is normal for many of us to practice wrong, wrong things. The problem with our sin is that sin became normal. This is the problem, though. I would like to argue that unless you embrace the bad news, Christmas doesn't make any sense. I would like to argue that unless you truly believe that you're broken and needy, Christmas doesn't mean anything. Because it's only the broken people, the ones that know that we need the good news of the gospel. This is the reason why John in Matthew, Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, he says, Blessed are those poor in the spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Listen to Paul's trips, uh, Paul's trip, uh, um, uh, thoughts on this. This comes from a, um, a book called uh, Celebrating Christmas, I think it is. This is what he says. One of the primary purposes of the incarnation of Jesus is to humble each and every one of us. Only when we accept the very, very bad news of Jesus' birth will you then be excited about the very, very good news of Jesus Christ. Good news is only ever good news to people who know that they need the good news. $10 is extremely good news to a poor man, but would not even, be, uh, would not even get noticed by a rich man. The promise of healing is wonderful good news to a very sick woman, but would not even get the attention of a woman who was in, a good, in good health. Jesus' birth is both the worst and the best news ever, and understanding both will, ch- understanding both will change your life forever. Humanity was so incredibly messed up that there was only one solution for us, God himself. 
The beautiful news of Christmas season is that God was willing to leave us in this. He was not willing to leave us in this tragic and desperate state. The glory of the birth of Jesus become even more glorious when it is seen through the humbling lenses of our desperate condition. That was the reason for his coming. Can you see it? What makes Advent beautiful and what makes Christmas so necessary is who we are. Christmas is about good news. Advent is about the bad news. And number three, a good Christmas song needs another element, needs surprising news. This is what I mean by this. When Zechariah wrote this song, he partly understood what God wanted to do through Jesus. He knew that God wanted to save us and redeem us and deliver us and rescue us, but he didn't know how. We do. And that's what is surprising about Christmas. Because for Zechariah, Jesus will come as a political force, as a political power, someone that will come to overpower their enemies by force. But what is surprising about Christmas is that Jesus comes to overpower our enemies through love. See, if the greatest problem we have is us, if our greater enemy is inside of us, then we know, and I want you to pay attention here, then we know that every single one of our sins is an offense against God's holiness. Every single one of our sins is an offense against his goodness. Every, every single one of our sins is an offense against his patience, his love, his mercy, his grace. Every sin we have committed is an act of defiance. Every sin we have committed is a declaration of independence. We are saying to God, I don't need you, I don't want you, I know best. Wasn't that what Adam and Eve did? I know what I need, not you. The surprising news is that we do deserve the wrath of God and Jesus came to take it upon himself. That's why the word redeem is so important. The word redemption in the Bible literally means this, to, to, be, to, uh, to set free by paying a price. The surprising news of Christmas is that that price was Jesus and him crucified. The surprising news of Jesus is that he was the only one that actually lived according to the will of the Father. But the surprising news of Advent is that Jesus got crucified. He is the one taking the wrath of God for us, in order for us to receive the mercy of God. The surprising news of Advent is that Jesus is treated like a prisoner so we could be set free. The surprising news of, of Jesus and Advent is that he was bound to the cross so we could be delivered. The surprising news of Advent is that he had to experience darkness so we can see the light the surprising news of Advent is that he had to experience anguish and pain so we could find peace. The surprising news of Advent is that the only way that we could be redeemed and find freedom is because he became a slave. Remember how I told you to remember Zechariah's, Elizabeth's, and Jan's name? Zechariah means God remembers. Elizabeth means God is faithful. John means God is merciful. 
You know how we know that that is true? Because Jesus came. And Jesus means God saves. Let me finish with this quote by Paul Tripp again. We deserve the judgment of God, but he chose to respond in another way. Not because of what he saw in us, but because what was in him. At Christmas, we celebrate a God who is glorious in his abundant love and patient mercy. He chose to give us grace to those who would never deserve his favor. He chose to rescue those who could not help themselves. He chose to forgive those who had rebelled again again and again. He chose not to leave us in our blindness, but to open our eyes. He chose to empower the unable, and because he chose all of these things, he chose to send his son. Christmas is not about you, it's about God. But God made it about you. Did you hear that? I just made that up. (laughs) But it's super good. (laughs) Christmas is not about you, it's about God. But God made Christmas about you. Let's pray. Beautiful Savior, we are so thankful. We are so thankful because of your grace. We are so thankful because of your mercy. We are so thankful because once again we are being reminded of the good news of the gospel and the bad news of the gospel that we were so broken, so lost, so needy, so needy that we needed you to come to save us and deliver us and rescue us and redeem us. Lord, please forgive us if we turn Advent and Christmas in something that has to do with us. Help us to put you in the middle of all of this. But give us a joyful heart, a heart of peace that remembers that you put us in the middle of all of this. Thank you, Lord, for your salvation. Thank you, Lord, because we get to remember and we get to celebrate. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And we all say...